Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Table, Conversations on Youth Justice. On this month's episode, we're talking about police presence in schools and the use of school resource officers, also known as SROs, along with discussing alternatives to the use of SROs in schools. For those who have SROs within their schools, the experience might not always be positive. Research has shown that SROs spend much of their time dealing with more minor behaviors, mostly misdemeanors. Additionally, students of color are disproportionately arrested at higher rates on school campuses. While violence in schools has generally declined over the past two decades, the perception of escalating violence spurred by horrific school shootings has sparked collective outcry from both students and parents. In response to their demands to safeguard schools, Michigan policymakers have invested hundreds of millions of dollars to bolster security and disciplinary measures from school hardening, such as installation of metal detectors, key cards, and security cameras, to the adoption of zero tolerance policy that requires suspension or expulsion of students after a single infraction. Perhaps the most significant change was the dramatic increase of police or SROs in schools. While the intent was to increase school safety, some of these efforts have actually had an adverse impact, failing to address the root cause of violence and instead criminalizing typical adolescent behavior. Some of these policies have been found to be generally ineffective at preventing violence, such as the use of metal detectors, and others have been even overturned, such as zero tolerance policies. Zero tolerance is a policy of not allowing any violations of a rule or a law. When a school has a zero tolerance policy for tardiness, for example, it means that students are punished the first time they're late to school. With that in mind, Communities United, based in Chicago, partnered with five other nonprofit organizations to create whole school comprehensive safety plans to address school safety using non-punitive, holistic approaches. The schools are encouraged to think holistically about their individual needs with consideration to recommendations that came out of an extensive community-led process. In addition, schools can be inspired by other school models across the district who have been successful in transitioning to a more holistic and proactive approach. And now we will hear from Maria De Helio of Communities United, a survivor-led racial justice organization based in Chicago. About Communities United, could you tell us a little bit more about your role there? Uh, yeah, so Communities United is a survivor-led organization. Um, we do intergenerational work. Um, we do a lot of focus around education and justice and equity, creating like healthy learning environments in our schools that is really focused on, you know, creating a safe space that is holistic for young folks. Um, we do have other issues that we work on, like affordable housing, you know, immigration, you know, access to resources, and we do work around um, addressing community violence. Um, and so we have a variety of issues, but the one thing to remember about our organization is that we are survivor-led, and the way that we approach our work is that the people who are directed by an issue the most should be part of the you know, crafting, identifying the issues and crafting and implementing the solutions that they create for those issues, right? So for example, for our youth work, 
um, where Voices of Youth in Chicago Education, we organize with young folks who are current students or students who have recently graduated from high school that allows them to look at the policies in their schools and allows them to identify the issues that they face the most as students and allow them to create the solutions for those. Great, Maria. Thank you so much for explaining that for us. It sounds like there's a wide range of programs and offerings that Communities United provides for people. And we would love if you could describe what specific programs or campaigns has your organization been involved with around the use of school resource officers or SROs for short in schools. Uh, yeah, so Communities United has been um, around since 2000. I actually came into the organization in 2006. I was one of the young people that came into the organization. And although we had a pivotal point in 2020, the work around creating education equity and creating safe, healthier learning environments has been a work that we've been doing since 2006. Um, we first started with um, having our actual own participatory research that looked at why students drop out of school. And were, that was during the time where the dropout rate was over 50% um, in Chicago public schools. It was ridiculous. And um, so we did a lot of that work. We also did a lot of work in changing our student code of conduct, which is the set of policies that, you know, young people um people use to guide young people. It's supposed to like say their rights, but it kind of reads like a criminal code. You know, it's <laughs> it's one of those, right? And so we also did a lot of our work around um, back in 2015, where we passed the Senate Bill 100, which was a groundbreaking state law, um, most powerful law that, that was passed in the country around limiting the use of suspensions and expulsions in schools and we also had another state bill that we passed that was around data transparency for the use of um, hard discipline so we have been in this work for a very long time however you know the goal has always been the same it, the goal has always been how do we create healthy learning environments for our young folks so that they could focus on learning and they don't go to school that day and get picked up at a police station, right? Like, what are the things that is stopping our learning environments from being what it could, what it could be? And so back in 2020, um, it was a pivotal time because that was a time where the world almost kind of stopped because of COVID. And when the pandemic was happening, there was a lot of questions around, well, what does it mean for us to be safe health-wise, right? But then also a lot of other questions started popping up, the questions that have always been around in our communities that the pandemic has exacerbated, right? And so another question that folks were seeing, especially after the murder of George Floyd was, how do we, how are we safe in our community? And then it was an opportune time for our young people to really take a look and ask the question of like, well, what does it mean for young people, especially young people of color, to be safe in schools? And a lot of times, I'll tell you one of the things that one of our young folks talked about, which was, she, she told us like, how am I supposed to feel safe 
in my school when the same people that wear that same uniform that kill my people on the streets are in my schools. And it started this conversation discussion of like, well, what does it mean for you to be safe in schools, right? And so back in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, there was a racial uprising in Chicago all over the nation. But Chicago, some parts of Chicago was literally on fire. And, and there was a movement with our young folks and they started doing a lot of public actions around calling for the removal of police officers in schools because they did not feel safe that way. And, you know, when we pushed the city, the city was like, you know, the mayor um, was like, well, that's not my decision. You have to go to the Board of Education. When we went to the Board of Education, they were like, that's not our decision. That's a local school council decision. And so there was a lot of like, you know, we need to have that local control. <clears throat> Meanwhile, across the nation, there was a lot of school districts pulling out like their SROs, right? We saw that across the nation in multiple um, school districts. And during that time, like in December of 2020, um, the Office of Safety and Security reached out to Voice and talked about, well, there's a resolution that was coming down to the Board of Education around a resolution that actually focused on a community-led process that would guide local school councils integrating into having that decision made. That a process that focused on safety, not just physically, but safety emotionally and thinking about relationships in the schools that we refer to as relational trust. And that was a huge risk. <laughs> for nonprofits, right, for us. And I was like, yo, let me check my with our young people because I don't know, man, you know, historically we, we never met eye to eye. And I was like, I don't know, you look a little shady. Let me think about it. Like, let me talk to my young folks. And, you know, there was a point where we were talking to our young people and they decided to take that risk. They were like, okay, well, this is a big risk for us, right? We're going to trust the district who historically wasn't, you know, there was a lot of harm. You know, and I remember like going up to JD and she's the, the, the chief of safety and security in Chicago Public Schools and going up to JD and being like, okay, well, you know, um, my young people said yes, but they did say that if anything happens, <laughs> um, we're going to be in all those meetings and we'll be the first one to blow the whistle if something bad is happening. Like, you know, we know all these reporters, like, you know, <laughs> we're going to shoot this whole thing down kind of thing, like shut it down, right? And so um, so we, we, we started and, and there was a, a process called whole school safety that launched in January of 2021 um, and included Voice and four other organizations, Make the Challenge, Build Incorporated, um, Arc of St. Sabina, and uh, did I say Build already? Oh, and Kofi Power Back. Um, and Kofi Power Pack and, and, and the other organizations, we all sat at the table together and we decided to plan out what this process will look like. And these are organizations that have different points of views of like where police stand in school, but we all had the same goal. And the goal was that we weren't going to enforce our beliefs. What we were gonna do is create the most as possible democratic process that was transparent and informed the community and the school community around what it means for them to create 
a whole school safety plan. So we created this process in which it actually gave schools like a real choice, which was like, if you were going to remove one or both of your police officers in your schools, that money will still go to your school. And here's a list of menu you can choose from. And that list of menu was actually developed by the CBOs or the nonprofits that were part of the whole school safety, where we engage hundreds of other folks um, through town halls, discussions, like we did a whole process to develop this menu. And the only criteria we had was in order for, an, for something to be on the menu, it had to hit relational trust, physical safety and emotional safety. If you are not hitting any, uh, oh, sorry, if you didn't hit three of those, then the option won't be in the menu and you can't spend your money with that. Um, and then there were a little like other caveats, caveats like once you vote back, you, once you vote out your school resource officer, you can't, you can't bring them back. This is not a, it's not one of those, right? Like we're trying to move towards holistic safety. And so we led this whole process um, in the first year um, and we were able to reallocate $3.8 million from school resource officers to holistic approaches. So folks, like schools were like choosing restorative justice coordinator, they were using youth um, interventional specialists, they were using uh, it for peace rooms, security guards are even an option, right? Because they're not armed and they're more like towards the community. Um, and they, they just offer, like a lot of them also chose um, social emotional learning programs, like things that they think that would actually like kind of create the culture of safety in the school. And so that was the first year. Three years later, we decreased the amount of school resource officers by 47%. And we had reallocated over $10.9 million. And that was in the last three years. We're going into our fourth phase. We're planning right now. I was literally in a meeting with them yesterday. It was wonderful. Um, and yeah, and, and that's been the role that we've been playing. It was a lot of, you know, relationship building with the district and a lot of trust. And now we're really, we really own this, this, uh, this process and this initiative together. Um, now, if you would have asked me, <laughs> like, I don't know, 10 years ago or five years ago, would I have ever been in the same space? I would have been, I would have laughed. I would have been like, no, why are you crazy? But, you know, when I was a teenager, one of my biggest roles when J.D. Nunn got into office was rallying her office every week. So like we knew each other very well. Um, I was always like, you know, holding press conferences outside her office and all that stuff. Like that's what I did. And to not be sitting in the same table as her and being as one of, uh, she's one of our strategic partners when it comes to like really understanding how to create holistic approaches to safety in schools. Um, it's definitely a different change, but it took a lot of relationship building and that relational trust. It took a while to get there, but we did it.
Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it actually, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess it is quite a, quite a bit of time, but a lot has been accomplished in that time. It sounds like, so that's really great to hear. Um, you did touch on this though, like what uh, the alternatives obviously to having the SROs or police officers in schools. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, maybe things that schools have chosen to do instead of having the SROs in schools or what they've done kind of with those funds? Yeah. Um, so they had to go through a process. As hard as it is, it, it is actually about the process, right? And so part of what makes the whole school safety initiative really special is the process that you have to go through. And that process of community involvement um, is really important, right? And so the first part of the process is first you have to come up with a whole school safety committee in your school. And that's going to be made up of two students, two parents, um, some school staff, right? And um, and they're going to take a look at your discipline data, your local school discipline data. And using that data, you get to actually understand what is the biggest disciplinary issue in your school. And then you start to think about that, but you also mix in like, what are some of the daily like issues that your school goes through and think about solutions of like, what's the best way to get there? Um, and then they have part of that process too, is that they have to involve their community, right? So they can do it through surveys, focus group, a community meeting, a town hall, like however they see fit based on their capacity and what works best for that school. They're gonna engage their community. And through that engagement, they're gonna show like, you know, this is what a proposal looks like and they're gonna get feedback for it. But ultimately the people that are gonna vote on it is the local school council, which is the local governing body of that school. So basically um, when they go through this process, um, that's really where the rich conversations start, right? Rich conversations around, well, what does it mean for us to be safe, right? What is it that we're actually going through? What are the challenges and what are the possible solutions to get to the root cause of that? So the different menus actually include, I believe there's seven specifically, but they're almost like categories that they can choose from. So they have an option of implementing holistic restorative practices. They can increase like social emotional learning and mental health resources. They could create safe and welcome physical school environments. So like basically if, if a wall or a roof is falling down, that's not safe, right? So you can use that money to fix the actual physical building too. Um, increasing investment in student leadership and decision-making process. So some of them, you know, wanted to have more like a, a student body, like a, an advisory board or whatever they think they need, they can access it for that. Increasing um, authentic parent and community engagement. So some schools do struggle with their parent engagement and they feel like that might be helpful. They can hire a staff to do specifically parent engagement, right? Um, and then there's also like trauma-informed crisis intervention. So some schools did get youth inter uh, intervention specialists, right, to do more of that targeted um, work. And then there's also around behavioral health teams. So behavioral health teams are basically like the, the group of, of um, school admin that includes like mental health professionals within the school to like help kind of triage um, any disciplinary issues, right? And having that targeted team that will help to address those disciplinary issues. So those are some of the options that they have. That's where the seven categories they can choose from. And, you know, whatever they choose, 
you know, they, it, it falls into one of these categories. So a lot of the schools did end up looking for like any programming that includes social emotional learning. They, a lot of them asked for restorative justice coordinators to actually get the program started in the school. So it really depended. And then if you look in our landing page, it does break down where the money, like how much of the money went into those specific options. Thank you for sharing that breakdown. That was really helpful. And I love that it covers a wide variety of tools that people can use and schools can use um, in order to help. I was curious as well, after you implemented these programs in schools, did you see more positive outcomes or did schools report that they saw like a positive change within the school setting? Um, or I'm not sure if that's a little harder to track or if there's not anything in place yet to track that. Um, so we have decreased the number for before in 2012, we were at 166. In 2024, we're at 57. Um, the process started here. We started at 144. We went, we're now at 57, um, which was for your previous question. It was really around climate and culture coordinator, security officers, MTSS coordinators, you know, an assistant principal, an interventionalist programming, safe passage so that students can cross safely to get to the school, and even staff professional development was part of that money. So the out-of-school suspensions did decrease over time. Like if you see from school year 2022 from school year 2014, there's been a 75% reduction in high schools and an 86% reduction in elementary schools for suspensions. And then in terms of like expulsions, we have gone down 71% in high school from 2014 and a 96% reduction in elementary school. And then police notification. So that's every time a school picks up the phone to call the police. And that has gone down by 76% in high schools and it has gone down by 58% in elementary schools. I do want to note that elementary schools do not have police officers, but we still you know, kind of kept track of that, um, or CPS did. So this is more like reductions in exclusionary discipline, right? Um, and so there has been like a progress across all demographics, but we do, you know, there's still work that needs to be done. Right. Like the fact that 11% of our black population is still experiencing this exclusionary discipline is not okay. Um, you know, in comparison to like the, you know, Latinx and white counterparts. Right. Um, so there's still work to be done, but it's also important to acknowledge the work that has been done, um, if that makes any sense. So, yes, there's a lot of stuff that did happen. Um, but there's still a lot more work to do. For sure. Yeah. Always, um, always have to look back and see how far you've come with things. You've definitely made a big improvement to some of these aspects, um, which kind of leads us into what I wanted to ask next, which is how, where kind of are things going with the, um, not just Communities United, but what are some other programs that are ongoing or what are some next steps or what the future look like, you know, for some of these alternatives that are being implemented in schools? Yeah, I mean, what's exciting about whole school safety is that, you know, I don't know if you remember, but from the beginning of this um, podcast, we talked about like, you know, we were like, yeah, we want to remove all the police officers in schools. This is for voice, right? And 
because all the school districts are pulling them out. But then if you kind of take a look in the last year or so, a lot of those school districts put them back in. Um, a lot of school districts, not, not Chicago public schools, but a lot of school districts across the nation had either put them back or they went private and they got private security that are armed and, and it's a lot more problematic in terms of public accountability. Um, but this process actually allowed us to be sustained. Um, this is a sustainable process that we're going through. As for like what's going to happen next, what we're trying to under like you know what we're trying to do is expand. We're trying to expand to elementary schools. Like I mentioned, they don't have police officers. However, the process of looking at safety holistically is important, um, and we believe that this could be a blueprint for not just our high schools that do not have SROs, but also our elementary schools for that community, parent, and student engagement around what does it mean for your school to be safe. Right for everybody, um, and so that's uh, that's really what we're we're trying to expand to. Another thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to learn about our own process. Um, we're trying to document it because we believe that this is something that other um, other school districts can learn from, whether or not they're in Chicago. Right? Um, we think that there's a lot of lessons around, like you know, partnership with between a nonprofit that specializes in community youth or parent engagement and um, an institution, a school institution and how that partnership really works. And, you know, even just the process of talking about something as complicated, complex and emotional as safety. Um, we think that there's a lot to learn from here. And so we're, we're another one of our goals is to really document it and to be able to share the model that we use so that we could actually see it um, in other school districts across the country. I think that sounds really great, even just seeing the progress that's been made in less than 10 years from the data you showed us and imagining that implemented throughout multiple states. I just think that would be such a huge improvement. Um, for the learning and emotional and physical environment of the kids who are involved. Um, one of our last questions, uh, what actions can people take to become more involved if they want to support their schools or the communities or nonprofits who are doing the great work such as Communities United um, to support schools? Are there any recommendations that you can offer? Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, Every nonprofit's always looking for folks to get involved. Um, we you know we acknowledge like there's only about 40 schools in Chicago Public School left that have school resource officers. But even that, I mean, we're only five organizations. Um, it's a lot, right? And so I think like the more people like orient themselves into the issue, the more they get involved into coming to the community events to share their thoughts and their ideas and bringing folks along to help us navigate through this difficult, like challenging discussion um, is really important. And so, you know, when, if you can get involved with your local school councils and I don't know how it works in Michigan, but you know, um, any governing body that allows for parent voices and young people's voices to be heard is really important. And I think that, you know, if we further stress that the people who are directly affected by an issue should definitely be a part of developing those solutions and implementing those solutions, right? Because whatever we decide as an adult now, because I'm an adult, um, as an adult, right? 
um, I'm not the one that has to follow all the rules that is gonna be set forth on students. So it's important that we hear from them about how they feel about these rules and how could we make them better and more conducive to, to the times of today. Um, so it's important that we involve them in the process and it's important that they're part of the decision-making table. Thank you. Definitely a similar process in Michigan where there's parents involvement, PTO, those types of things. So mm -hmm. uh, we're always here at MCYJ. We always saying, you know, get youth involved first and foremost, their voices heard um, and also families and parents, you know, get involved any way that they can. Um, we do definitely thank you so much for giving us your time today and talking about what the great things and the programs that uh, Communities United and yourself have been involved in. Thank you for, for having me here. I really appreciate you all like allowing us to talk about the work that's happening locally um, because I think that there's a lot of beautiful things that happen locally and we're able to learn from them. So this is one of the opportunities for us to share our lessons learned. In speaking with Maria, it is clear that creating and sustaining safety in schools can be accomplished through other means that do not necessarily require police or SRO presence. By creating a menu of trauma-informed approaches, individual school systems can choose which solutions work best for their particular student population. It is also paramount to include youth voices in identifying the issues surrounding school safety and providing alternatives. In addition, collaboration between schools, families, and the community is just as important to creating safe schools. While more work needs to be done in creating these safe schools, groups like Communities United have created a model for other communities to follow. We would like to thank Maria and Communities United for sharing all the important work they are doing in the Chicago area. Many of these solutions and programs can provide a model for other school districts across the nation. To learn more about Communities United and their alternative school safety plans, you can visit their website, which is provided in the show notes. Thank you for tuning into this month's episode of The Table, Conversations on Youth Justice. To learn more about the Michigan Center for Youth Justice and our current projects and campaigns, please visit www.miyouthjustice.org.